Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to our podcast, Life After the Letters. I'm Amelie. And I'm Suba. We're friends that met whilst working our first shifts as junior doctors. And we're here to talk about the stories and challenges that we face every day. Our first and formidable guest is the wonderful and very humble Hazel Wallace. She's a woman that wears many hats and she wears them all very well. She's a junior doctor, she's a blogger, a best-selling author and most recently a fellow podcaster. You may know her better as the food medic. During her second degree at university, she began sharing nutritional advice, exercise routines, and the meals that she ate. She gained her second degree and a few hundred thousand followers along the way. Hello, Hazel. Hi, <laughs> thank you for the intro. It's Was so that cringe? It's so weird listening to you explaining what I do. I'm just like, <laughs> just sit quietly. It's funny because I listen to Hazel's podcast, um, also called The Food Medic, yeah. and it's absolutely brilliant. And whenever she introduces her guests, it's like a really good introduction. And they're always like, oh! I, I really give their full bio. And it's a little <laughs> bit long because they're usually very um, experienced. So I'll have like, all of their degrees to listen. <laughs> Sometimes it's a little bit long-winded, but I feel I owe it to them to share how qualified they are. Yeah, because it's important. And yeah. I think sometimes as women, especially, it feels a little bit difficult to go out and say everything that you do because it feels like we're boasting. Yeah, so it's nice when someone does it for you. Yeah, <laughs> and you've done a lot, so it's amazing. Thank you. But this is funny because this is the first time we're meeting for like a couple of years now. I know, I know. How, how many years now? no I think it's more than that you know I think we're getting old I was in my fourth year of medical school so was I but I think I did another degree did you do another degree in med school uh before med school before med school so actually no because we would have started um f1 at the same time so, so maybe it's four years ago oh my god that's crazy yeah so what's funny is that um we went to Stockholm as part of a trip with Nike I have no idea why I was invited to be honest at that time <laughs> And it was like the best trip I've ever been on. But I think Hazel's been on several no, since then. No, it's still like the best trip. Whenever anyone ever really? says, what was the best trip you're on? Like press trip. I'm like that Nike event because I was so, I was so grateful mm. to be there. And there was, it was such a good group of girls. Yeah. And we had a really good time. So I it loved was it. So yeah, good. it. It was really so good. good. Yeah. So back to this <laughs> and back to 2018. I know. <laughs> so Essentially, we've got loads that we can talk about, and I don't even really know where to start. Yeah. So I'm thinking, let's go chronological here. Okay. <laughs> so Hazel, did you know that you wanted to do medicine in the first place? And where did that thinking start to come in? Um, 
I decided I wanted to be a doctor after I lost my dad when and I was 14 when he had a stroke and mm-hmm. it was around that time I got interested in healthcare so I was originally planning on doing business or accountancy okay. so I changed all my subjects to all the sciences and studied for them but I grieved pretty hard after mm-hmm. I lost my dad and not until I was about 16 it really hit me and I didn't do as well in my exams, like mm-hmm. my finals. Um, so I grew up in Ireland and I did the equivalent of the A-levels. And so anyway, long story short, I didn't get all the grades I needed, mm-hmm. but I got enough to do medical sciences or biomedical sciences um, in Dublin. But I was also offered a, a similar degree okay. in Wales. And something inside of me said, go for Wales. So at the age of 18, packed my bags, moved to the valleys. Like it was literally <laughs> in the middle of nowhere with sheep everywhere. And I did my medical sciences undergraduate. And that degree was, it was a really small group of us, 22, I think. Mm-hmm. But it was shaped for people who wanted to do medicine or something similar. Um, so I went there and I was very, very determined to get into medicine from there. Um, and at the end of that degree, applied for graduate entry medicine and I started uh, a four-year graduate entry level at Cardiff then um, and qualified then in 2016. Yeah, crazy. And looking back at those people, the 22 of you guys, is everyone a doctor now or did people take different paths? No, I'd say about six of us are. Um, Some people didn't get into medicine. Some people decided they didn't want to be a doctor Mm. at the end. Like one of my friends is a speech and language therapist. The other one's doing a PhD in Australia. Um, we're all doing really different things. Um, so yeah, it's 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 interesting, but I think it really does teach you what it is like to be a doctor. And I think when people start the degree, they're like, "Whoa, actually, this isn't for me." And I'm sure you you found the same. Even even some of my F one peers found that when they started working the job, it's it's very different doing it in medical school and then actually doing the job. (laughs) No, it's funny you should say that. Me and Super talk about this all the time because Mm. you make this decision when you're 16, 17 to choose the subjects you need to do. And by the time you get through medical school, you're kind of just on a fast track to being a doctor. Yeah. And I suppose the good thing about graduate medics is we always used to find the people who used to join us as graduate entry um, medics, they would just have a completely different mindset because they were here because they know they want to do the job and they had the right expectations for the job. Yeah, absolutely. I think also doing a degree before medicine mm-hmm. almost got like that uni bug out of me. <laughs> like I lived my uni years and then I was ready to knuckle down and, and study. <laughs> yeah, that was me from like fourth year. <laughs> That's funny. And obviously we can't talk about your second degree at university without talking about where the food medic started and yeah. how that was born. Can you give us a good idea? So the food medic was born actually in the, at the very end of my first degree when I was studying for my finals. Um, and I had quite a long lead up to my exams, like an eight week window um, where we didn't have many lectures and we had time to revise. Um, and I used that time to join a gym and also start eating well because Mm. I had gotten to the point where my own health was compromised I guess I had really severe asthma like terrible acne and also I'd put on quite a bit of weight since I started uni and I thought well I don't want to be a doctor who can't run for a bus so (laughs) (laughs) I I was like well I'll sign up to the gym I'll learn a little bit about food and then I 
I got hooked. I got really, really hooked mm -hmm. um, because I felt like my performance when I was studying was improving with improving my nutrition. I felt more energetic. I was going to the gym before I started going to the library. And those library days were so intense. Like, you know, you'd stay there till midnight and you'd be sitting in the same spot. So like breaking it up with exercise mm -hmm. really helped me to study. And having, a you know, an interest outside of medicine also helped me stay focused yeah. and enthusiastic. So I started an Instagram account, a personal one to help me stay motivated. Mm -hmm. And then as I started really delving deeper into the literature, I thought, you know what, I could extend this from just myself and from my own Instagram onto a blog and help more people yeah. and hopefully help my future patients. And so the food medic was born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so how long did that process go on for? So you started it during your final year yeah and then when did the blog appear? then the blog appeared that summer um oh, wow. yeah because I went home for the summer and I, I really threw myself into it because I'm I'm just like the type of person that needs to be busy mm -hmm. and I I I thought that was a really good time to start the blog so I started it then and entered graduate entry medicine and I didn't really know if I'd keep it up because I knew it was going to be an intense degree mm. and I did I kept it up in the background and it really, really grew at medical school, even though I tried to kind of put a lid on it. I was like, you know, let me focus on my degree. And it was growing and people were really interested. I loved it. So it, I kept it going. And it was in my final year of medical school when I was offered my first book deal. Mm. And I I said yes. And I wrote my, my book on my elective. No way. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Where was your elective? In Sydney. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I it was great because I was away from everyone mm -hmm. um I'd go in I'd do my A&E shift and then I'd come home and I'd write my book and I'd practice in my kitchen there um and it was great and I loved it um and what a gorgeous country to do it from it was and such a like health focused country as well yeah it was really really good but it it was a hard time mm -hmm. because it was around my medical finals and I the book deal and I also wanted to get my PT qualification before the book came out to so people would be um, could would know that I'm qualified to give that advice also because as doctors we we don't really know much about exercise we know it's good for you but mm -hmm. that's about it so I did all of the above at the same time much to the detriment of my mental health but we got through it and I'm really really glad that I did that and I believed in myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a real testament in following your passions and also making sure that you are qualified to give advice on certain topics like exercise and nutrition. Yeah. And I'm sure you see a lot of people in the maybe the Instagram or blog space um, who aren't as qualified or might be misleading people with information. Yeah, it's be it's not regulated what you say online. So anyone anyone's a doctor or like anyone's a nutritionist, PT, whatever. So for me, it was really important because. I I want to be safe and like we just we just I mean we'll probably talk about it but I'm going back to uni now in September to do a master's in nutrition which I'm I'm like oh my god this is going to be my eighth year of university <laughs> but I for me again it's important not only for um like having that accreditation but also because I'm super interested and mm. I want to really immerse myself and I'm such an academic at heart that 
I'm really excited to actually write a thesis and oh, this, this little geek <laughs> yeah, over here. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's what's happening. I think it, we should all be encouraged to do lifelong learning. You don't just stop. And as a medic, you're encouraged to always be doing something, but it's easy to kind of slip into that, that little sweet spot where you're not really doing very much. Yeah. Because actually funny you should say that but actually getting the title as a doctor it almost feels like you've achieved what you need to achieve but that kind of can make your learning stagnant mm. so I think it is important to keep pursuing it so let me ask you this so it was towards the end of your first degree when you started with food medic mm. how did you gain knowledge on nutrition because frankly we just don't learn it in med school yeah well first of all I started reading blogs um and I I think blogging was a relatively new thing then. Oh my gosh, so new. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it was American blogs, but I was kind of a little bit confused reading some of the stuff because it was kind of pseudoscience. And because I was learning all of the science then and there, I was thinking that doesn't really make any sense. But I see where they're coming from. And it was really... In, um, it was really appealing, like all, all of these like claims they were making. So I, I wanted to know if there's any research. So I was like using PubMed to like search <laughs> articles on these things. Like, is the ketogenic really going to cure cancer? Like, <laughs> seriously, I was I had no clue because we didn't really learn about it. I mean, mm. in all fairness, in medical sciences, I did a module in nutrition as part of that but it was really like the intricate anatomy and you know biochemistry it wasn't yeah. and what is happening at a cellular level yeah it wasn't the practicalities mm -hmm. like you know what's a complex carbohydrate in, in in terms of a food yeah and I feel like that's what we need to learn as doctors when it comes to which is actually quite simple information for it's, them to it give is. us it, it really is it's the yeah. most basic thing because telling a patient to eat more complex carbohydrates just makes no sense you know like we have to speak to them in terms of foods but anyway that's another thing so I really did just start reading papers and then start writing research-based articles in the form of blog posts which is very different for most scientific publications and a lot of my peers and seniors weren't really keen on on it um now it's a different story now I I get asked to kind of advise on on how we translate science to the general public because everyone reads blogs now everyone uses social media and people want bite-sized chunks of information but we need to make sure that they're coming from the right people totally totally yeah. so just to go through that mm -hmm. we talked about you in your final in your first degree we've talked about your second degree which was medicine um, going through medical school, also having quite a well-known blog at the time, how did you find that? Did you find that? Um, how did you find that having a blog at medical school and all the other medical students knowing that you had it? I, first of all, I kind of I never put pressure on myself to, to you know, blog a certain amount of time per week, because I was so grateful and also because um, I worked so hard to get into medicine I was like nothing is going to stand in the way of this I'm going to become a doctor so my work always came first and then blogging came second but it was almost like my escape um, I'd used the gym at the hospital um, which was right beside the library as well so mm. I kind of built up this little routine and I feel like it really helped me at medical school mm. because a lot of people would think the opposite did it hinder your performance 
and I definitely um, was advised to stop doing it because my lecturers thought it might hinder my performance, um, which it didn't. I ended up getting on the dean's list for my final, so I did work really, really hard. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that all my med, all my medical s- student peers knew that I was doing That's my blog. That's hilarious, I, I know. I just didn't really realize, and then someone someone mentioned it, and I was like, "Oh, how how do you know I do that?" And they were like, "Well." <laughs> everyone knows Literally and I, everyone knows. <laughs> I realized everyone was talking about it and I'd say 90% of people were supportive but there was times where especially amongst the boys where they'd make fun of what I did and I came across that on social media once and I remember having a really hard time about it because they'd never say it to my face um and I definitely questioned whether I was doing the right thing or whether it was just silly and I was, you know, just another Instagrammer. But something inside me made me keep going. Um, and now it's much more than just a little blog, but it wasn't always easy. Um, it's interesting, though, because I feel like that there's been a shift in mindset from from the medical community. And now there's a lot of doctors who use social media um, to complement their career, I think. Yeah, totally. And I think even when we look at our careers, there's a lot more that you can do and you can make it into a portfolio career Mm. where actually the things that you're interested in and the things that you're most passionate about, isn't it better for that information to come from you um, and in ways which are more accessible to the public? Yeah. So actually listening to your podcast, Mm -hmm. and I've been listening to it over the past couple of weeks since it came out, and I found it really educational and very informative and it's crazy to me to start it's crazy to me to think that I've only just started picking up on certain ways of explaining to patients how to look after their nutrition yeah. or what type of exercises they can do and what's actually important for them to use as their parameters for health and it's something I just never learned at med school and it's mm-hmm. something I didn't pick up until I listened to your podcast isn't that wild it is wild and i mean i although i've been i've been blogging um with the food medic for mm-hmm. six years now um but doing this podcast even my mind is blown because I'm <laughs> learning stuff all the time and I'm just like oh I wish I wish every medical student knew this yeah. I think that will change because patients are demanding that information they're like hey doc what should I eat like is this exercise safe this this morning I was working with a cancer charity and we're working on developing infographics for patients young patients with cancer so between the age of 20 and 40 on nutrition documents and also exercise because they're like can I exercise with a pick line um what can I eat will dairy make things worse like they've got so many concerns and rightly so because they're going through a hard time so I think I can't remember where I'm going with this now (laughs) (laughs) I liked it and I followed it the whole way. So I'm with you on this one. But but what I was saying basically is like creating those infographics for patients is really important. And doctors don't know that advice or they might, but they don't feel comfortable giving that advice because they haven't been taught it. And um, And where I also think you're going with that is the fact that you actually sit within a very niche space. You sit in a space where you have a lot of nutritional knowledge and exercise related knowledge and how that can affect people on an individual level. Mm. But also you've had the opportunity to be a doctor and see patients um, and know what their needs are. So actually a lot of people don't have those two 
those two specific but important things. Yeah. And it's it's so interesting because it's two different worlds, like working within a London-based hospital, um, particularly at, at 3M and A&E, and then comparing that to the kind of cohort of people who'd follow me on Instagram, it's a very, very different kettle of fish. Like what advice I'd give to, a, you know, someone who's coming to my uh, Instagram page, they're probably going to be well educated on nutrition anyway. And they're going to be asking me like really nuanced questions like, what should I be eating after I work out? Is this enough protein? Blah, blah, blah. But then my patients who are coming through the doors of A&E are probably they might not even be meeting their five a day. They may not have access to a kitchen. It's very different. And one thing working within the NHS, it, it keeps your, your feet in the ground and um, kind of your focus on what's going to help the majority of people rather than, you know, what's, what's going to be optimal health mm-hmm. um, or even better health for these people. Yeah. So I think that brings us on to the different communities which you have access to. So you will definitely speak about the lifestyle medic yeah. um, community, but let's talk about the differences between the blogger community and also the medic community. Is there one group that you feel that you're more closely aligned to? Um, I don't, it feels weird. I don't really feel like I belong to either. Mm. <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm the little bit of the Venn diagram in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like medicine, the blogging community, because there's a lot of things that I don't feel I align with in both communities. Um, blogging's notoriously just... Uh, there's a lot of bad blogging out there. Um, there's a lot of good bloggers out there also. Mm. And what I love about the whole blogging community is that people are very motivated. They're really creative. And um, I'm really, I'm a creative person. Being a doctor doesn't allow you to be creative. You stick to guidelines and you have, it's Mm. very like, you know, X, Y, and Z. Whereas when I'm working in the capacity of a blogger, I have to be a photographer, I have to be a writer, I have to be an editor, um, a director, I do everything. And it's almost like a manager. And I love that because I I love taking the science and then breaking it down into accessible ways. But then medicine is where all my, my real love lies. I mean, I'm obsessed with the human body. And, you know, I will listen and watch anything to do with the human <laughs> body all the time. So it's really important for me to keep my my foot in in medicine at the moment anyway I don't know where the future holds Mm -hmm. I don't know whether I'll go back to full-time training but I think for me I am unique in that I straddle both fields and that's almost why I'm going back to do my master's because Mm -hmm. I almost see it as my duty of care to be that person who who straddles those fields and brings them together because ultimately we would have a better healthcare system if we could get more um if we could bring in more nutrition mm-hmm. education in there and lifestyle education it's not about retraining all our doctors it's about making that information accessible yeah. and i think definitely if we could start teaching at medical school we would we would have like i feel like the doctors would feel better equipped anyway yeah. um, and i think they'd also feel more excited because actually when you look at nutrition and exercise it's what affects people on an individual level Mm. so you'd be able to apply that to your own individual life and see okay these are changes that I can make 
And this is the information I can give to my patients as well. Um, and that's what makes medicine great, being yeah. able to relate to your patients on an individual level and see how you can best help them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on this, yeah. and I'm really excited that you're even here today to come and talk about what you've been doing. Yeah. So we're let's go <laughs> on to your next plans. Nutrition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going back to do um, an MSc in clinical nutrition and public health um at UCL so it's a year-long master's and at the end of it I'll be a nutritionist which is <laughs> collecting the degrees it's crazy <laughs> um and it's it's you know it's important to have the title but it's not just that reason that I'm doing it for that um but in addition to that I will continue to locum um and run the food medic but thankfully the food medic is growing um, it's always grown really steadily, but I'm able to have people help me now. Um, I've got no one working for me full time. I wish I did, but I have like some, some people who help me with the website and scheduling and things like that. And really great videographers that I work with. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to do with the food medic is pull myself from it a little bit. So it's less of I and more of we, so mm -hmm. the food medic is becoming a bit of an organization and, even how I've changed my website around a little bit. I've got an educational hub and I've got a group of contributors and I try to, I keep a section for my medical students. So medical students around the country, I went through a, a process where they all put in applications. Well, whoever wanted to write for the blog, put in applications and I selected four and they're regular contributors. How often do they contribute? Um, they do one a month each so it means that we've got like one from each of them every oh, week that's great. yeah I've got other contributors but it means that I'm kind of cultivating a population of medical students who are talking about nutrition and, and lifestyle medicine but every article they write needs to be evidence-based mm -hmm. needs to be referenced and I need to review everything so we know that everything that goes up there is correct yeah which it, it's difficult but it means that it's inspiring them and they're they're starting up societies and their medical schools mm -hmm. you know there's I think that it will be this group of medical schools yeah. and that generation of medical students who will change the way we deliver healthcare. Mm. it almost seems like the food medic and the whole lifestyle medicine movement is kind of creating a shift yeah and not only in doctors but also in the public and public health generally so I think that's important yeah it yeah. is so we've clearly talked about different areas and the different things that you do. So let's start with the food medic, the books. Yeah. So you got your first book deal or got offered your first book deal on your elective in medical school. Mm. Can you tell us how that's transformed over the years and the two books that you now have? Yeah. Um, I actually always wanted to write a book. So I kind of had a plan of what it would look like. I Just interrupt, a recipe book or educational book okay. um, because I felt like when I was at the beginning of my journey there was no middle ground between scientific publications <laughs> and magazines or online content mm. there was nothing in between and I wanted to be that in between where I can just deliver the basics of nutrition so the first book which was the food medic the first kind of half of the book is just nutrition the basics and then I cover nutrition and health and how it food interacts with the different body systems and then I do all my recipes and a short workout guide at the back so it was kind of like a textbook but because I always knew what I wanted to do 
I had my proposal written and then someone approached me and said, you should do a book. And I said, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I think I'll wait until I'm a doctor. And they were like, love, this takes ages to do. So <laughs> yeah. let's just get started now. Yeah. So I started writing it then mm. and I was offered a, a couple of book deals and I went with one, um, my publisher's Yellow Kite, because they seemed like they really understood me. Mm-hmm. And I started writing it and that came out May of 2017. Yeah. So I was coming to the end of my F1 year. Mm -hmm. So I was a doctor by the time it came out. And um, then I had 11 months to write my next one. And that one came out April of 2018. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, the second one was, I said the second one was only going to be a recipe book, but I couldn't help myself. (laughs) I had to it ended up being 60,000 words because I just had to put in all the information but that one is very much uh the information's broken up and spread throughout the book and I've done like the FAQs I get is red meat bad for me and give people the information Mm -hmm. I also talk a bit like on sleep and mindfulness as well which Mm -hmm. I didn't before um and yeah so they're my two books and I think I will definitely do more in the future, but at the moment, because it is so time consuming, it's yeah. it's like more than a dissertation, I will focus on my master's and think about it another time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it also takes time for people to, for these messages to really sink into yeah. people. And it really does make sense when you go through these books. Looking at your first book, for example, did you get a lot of feedback from that? And what, what did that look like from your followers? Yeah, everyone loved it. Um, mm. It was number one bestseller um, on the first day it came out. And it was crazy to see, go onto Amazon and see it sitting number one. Ahead <laughs> see of, your like, face sitting yeah, there. <laughs> in all categories, like above yeah. some incredible books, mm. like to beat the body coach. And I'm good friends That's with wild, Joe. isn't it? was crazy. <laughs> I was just like, I'm just going to celebrate this. Um, so that was amazing and it was really, really well received, but I was so open to feedback and there wasn't that much negative, if any negative, but there was definitely feedback. And I think going through medical school, you ha- you are conditioned to accept feedback mm-hmm. and learn from that. And I did. So mm-hmm. in my next book, I brought all of that forward and good and bad feedback. So the things that people loved was quick and easy recipes that were cheap because my first recipe book you know I had to write that in uh in a student budget in a tiny student kitchen with like you know five housemates <laughs> and you know like you would stacks of pans yeah. and everything was filthy so and it's actually funny because if you think about just even the space that you have uh, in university it's tiny ass cupboards so, so you don't even have enough space for everything that you would have at home no and I had like access to like a small supermarket I <laughs> if one of my mates would drive to the big Tesco I was lucky so I, oh, those would be my favorite days. I know. <laughs> like, who's driving to Big Tesco? So I think people then really related to the recipes because mm. it's not like I was putting in weird and bizarre ingredients that you had to buy in any of the niche whole food stores. It was just good food, mm-hmm. simple food. And so I made sure that all my recipes moving forward were quick, easy and still healthy. Um, people love the nutrition as well but again nutrition moves on like with any science mm-hmm. so it's it's expanding on that I personally felt that exercises weren't best placed in a book and I didn't get that feedback but for me I didn't so I decided not to put exercises in the next book and just focus on food and all the physical activity will always be important to me 
I think you have to pick, not pick your battles, but pick and choose what you're best at and excel mm. at that because you can almost do too many things. Yeah. And I was like trying to cover everything because I just want to give everyone the best advice as mm. I can give. I was going to ask you that actually because the reason I knew in the first knew you in the first place was because you were almost a health and fitness blogger and mm. more so I would say fitness at the time yeah and a lot of the things I used to watch from you were your fitness exercises and your routines and I still do and I know that you have them every so often yeah. now but it seems that we've just gone into food and lifestyle and mindfulness as you were saying yeah a, a lot more yeah how did how did that happen over the years I think because I realized that there was a bigger need for nutrition mm. and there was a lot of people putting out physical physical activity kind of content exercises and exercises and stuff <laughs> and and they were doing it and they were doing it well and mm. they don't need more people like doing that i can give advice on why it's good for you um but i don't think that there's good information on nutrition out there and i feel like that's where i come in but I would love to, I will go back to um, exercise, but I think from working within the NHS, I'd love to create more of a program that's tailored for people who are totally inactive, um, and but maybe do a tiered program mm -hmm. and whether that's an app or working with NHS, I don't know. But I feel like as a doctor, when I'm advising patients to get more active, I find it really hard to advise them on where oh to gosh. go. Yeah. Because... I don't want to say go to Kayla, uh, download Kayla's app because they'll be like, who the hell's Kayla? And <laughs> to I'm, BBG. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not going to do like 50 burpees. Like I don't want to give them a heart attack. And then I can tell them to do couch to 5K, but not all of them want to run. So I would love to see an app. And this is something- I'm I, so excited for you, by the way. I know. I, know. <laughs> I would love to do an app where I can like do it for beginners, intermediate and advanced and we can help them meet their physical activity guidelines. Because so I, I did my TED talk on exercise. So that was- different um and I'm so passionate about it because I feel like it's free medicine it's just yeah um for me the the need from people they always want nutrition mm. well I think it's really interesting as part of your degree next year you won't just be looking at nutrition but you'll be looking at public health as well yeah and public health is so important I think in your TED talk you mentioned about the amount of girls doing physical exercise um, at school and how the numbers were so low and actually if we could increase the physical activity that people do that will just send them on a really great health trajectory mm. I can't speak either today <laughs> I know we're like it's the heat um but yeah I think we need to encourage you know from a really young age getting more active it's it's just normalizing it again and um I speak at like a lot of GP conferences and to trainees and things like that and I don't know if you're familiar with social prescribing it's like an initiative where um GPs can prescribe non-medical okay. kind of community services so there's a link worker they work between the community and the GP practice and it could be like Mr. Jones comes in and he's very depressed and he keeps coming mm -hmm. back and back and um the GP can speak to the link worker to say what could we assign him to do and that could mm -hmm. be like volunteering it could be a dance okay. class could be a cookery class but it's so effective That's amazing it's amazing but one of the other things on the back of that is now GP practices are um joining up with park runs you know mm -hmm. that park run yeah yeah so like GPs um can prescribe their patients have one park runs really <laughs> yeah so you can prescribe your patient oh, a park so run cute. and you can go as well. So it's like practice park runs. I don't know if you want to go running with your patients. But <laughs> I mean, 
it's like things like that normalizing it and um having it as a treatment option is pretty yeah. cool and i think um the number needed to treat is oh i'm gonna get this wrong i think it's one in is one in 12 for um physical activity but if for smoking it's one in 100 so for every 12 patients you That's tell mad. to exercise, one of them will. But it's like one in 100 or one in 150 smokers will stop smoking. So we have a greater chance of getting patients to move than quit smoking. So just say it to everyone. Come on, guys. Park <laughs> one. Yeah. No, that's interesting. You should say that, actually, because even those 11 who might not continue doing that every single week or whatever, whatever the parameters are, you've now made a little shift in their mindset. Now, I was listening to your podcast i'm talking about your podcast this entire time i know <laughs> um, i think it was dr zoe williams who was yeah. talking about um how she just has a bicycle helmet yeah. on her desk do you want to tell that story yeah cool. so we were actually we were on a tube so on, on, on the tube coming back from a, a like a conference or something or a meetup and uh, we were talking about ways to get patients active and she was like well I mean, I just leave my helmet on my desk and I don't even cycle, but <laughs> I feel like I'm being a good role model. <laughs> so then uh, when she was on my podcast, I was like, I told, I told the story. But, you know, she was kind of like, is it bad that I do? I'm like, no, it's like anything to be a good role model. Like it's, it's if you are ha like, if your patient comes into your office and you're eating McDonald's or, you know, you are, look absolutely exhausted and stressed out of your mind and you're not looking after yourself and you're not, they're not going to see that they're going they're not going to value their health and i think it's not it's not all about you know keeping up appearances but if you can say you know i'm doing this too and i also find it quite difficult i've got a busy job and i'm going to go home and cook dinner tonight if i can do it you can do it and i think i also feel like the success of the food medic is largely due to the fact that i was a medical student i am a doctor and they're like well will she didn't know what she was doing at one point and she was also very busy and she could do it and I think when you're relatable and that's the beauty of blogging yeah. because there's a face to it mm -hmm. totally totally so I think that's really important to discuss the practical ways we can affect change for patients but going back to public health mm -hmm. there have been like quite a few public health campaigns which have come under fire recently I say recently, probably in like the past year or so. And I think there was one that you commented on in particular last year. I should have told you this before this <laughs> interview. <laughs> um, but it was the it was the cancer one um, and the big... O obesity one. Yeah, yeah so obesity, and uh, that was the cancer research one. And I commented on it because, again... First of all, do people always ask you to comment on these big public health campaigns? Yeah, okay. so the media will, but also I'll get pressure from... Uh, not pressure, but like... <laughs> I mean, my followers will be like, hey, what do you think of this? And I do feel like it's my duty to speak up as a doctor. Um, it's very nerve-wracking because it's a, a... Cancer and obesity, for example, are so polarising. Um, I do think that when we when it comes to the language around obesity, we need to be a bit more mindful mm -hmm. because we know that it's not just caused by one thing. And the way it's portrayed sometimes, it's almost... And what a lot of people have said to me is, it's a lifestyle choice, and I completely disagree. Mm. It's not a lifestyle choice. Yes, your lifestyle can influence your chances of becoming obese, but to put it down to that is just... Is, it's just not true. Mm -hmm. um, so my bugbear with this was, it said, what is the biggest cause of cancer? And, and it said obesity and you fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. um, 
being really pedantic cause it's it does not cause can it does not cause cancer you know there's a link between a higher mm-hmm. bmi and cancer so that was my first bugbear but also was the messaging around this totally. because there's people leaving the hospital and seeing that like i work largely in, in breast cancer services mm-hmm. and they to ha- put that element of blame on them because is it's just not helpful mm-hmm. i think it's it's important to raise awareness that having poor health uh, lifestyle choices can it increase your risk of cancer mm-hmm. but doing it in a way that is not helpful and that can be shameful mm-hmm. i think is just not right and if we sh- if we shifted it and turned it on its head and showed people positive ways to reduce their risk moving more eating a healthier diet not because smoking. actually just having that poster doesn't really change anything no all it does is kind of empower those who might use those messages in a negative way to people who already are dealing with body image issues yeah yeah and i i mean i think a l- there was a it was a very split um feelings on that i think i didn't feel like a lot of doctors were against it i felt like a lot of nutritionists and dietitians were and and i guess because they're but very that's because doctors also don't really have that much knowledge about what's going on public health wise yeah. or also in terms of nutrition i think so and i did i did get one follower who um was really upset about it and said that she did she felt like it was irresponsible for a doctor to say that it wasn't a helpful campaign and you know i addressed her concerns and I just my responses are always very unbiased and just very clear cut like I I just state the facts um I I didn't feel like it was irresponsible I felt like it was actually more responsible to give people what the actual facts and actual risks are um and mentioning everything else where most people were very much for it and I think after speaking to a number of doctors they were like actually in hindsight could have been done better um and I think I hope that cancer research take that away. I know that it, a campaign is a campaign and it needs to be, it needs to be kind of grabbing, attention grabbing, but it, it has to be done sensitively as well. It does. And it, also in context of the society which you live in. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Interesting, isn't I know, it? it is. But um, it's, it's difficult commenting on something like that. Again, when you have two different kind of cohorts of people your Instagram followers who are very much not at risk of becoming obese and are probably the worried well. And then your <laughs> population within the hospital who are majority of them, I would say, are of a higher BMI and could do with some um, health education. But also you have to meet them where they're at and just scaring them and telling them you're going to get cancer because you've got a high BMI. I don't feel like that's very empowering. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And clearly, you have a lot of messages that you do have to share on social media. And as you said, people do look to you to, read, to comment on certain things. Do you ever, are you ever concerned that it's going to affect you professionally or at work, say? No, I don't think so, because I wouldn't um, talk about anything which isn't aligned with the food medic or kind of my values as a doctor, because I also have to work within my scope of practice, um, which, again, why I'm getting another qualification, because it's <laughs> important, um, and stick to what the GMC would deem appropriate as well. And that comes down to social media. You have to be so careful about what you put online. Any doctor does, regardless of how many followers you have. So I think it only helps like this, like I, I write articles for other websites, um, you know, whether it's traveler's diarrhea, how to do a breast check, a self breast examination, for example, and GP surgeries and online, you know, websites that are suited for patients and doctors alike, share them and ask me to write for them. So I think there, I'm bringing that in closer together as Mm -hmm. I move along, but there was a point where my blogging and my medicine was very very different very Mm -hmm. separate and that was harder because I kind of felt ashamed of not ashamed I I was afraid to tell people about what I was my blog even though I loved it because Mm -hmm. I thought it would be seen as you know a little bit out there for a medic Mm -hmm. to be doing yeah and I think actually when you when when you were saying that people are advising you not to go ahead with your blog Mm -hmm. it just shows you sometimes how far away the medical mindset is from what's going on in the real world because actually all of us look to social media whether we realize it or not for information and for messaging so what better way of using that space um, as a way of educating people yeah I think so um, and just going on from so obviously we have a lot we have a lot of doctors who listen to our show and we have a lot of nurses who listen to our show as well a lot of people who just generally work in the NHS is there anything that you would want to explain to them or how would you advise them um, how to share messages with their patients on improving nutrition, for example? I would say meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said before, you don't know whether, you know, are they well-educated in nutrition? Are they looking for like, you know, nitty-gritty details? Do they have a relatively good diet? Or are they at the opposite end of the spectrum and they're eating like a terrible diet? (laughs) Because... You have to meet them where they're at and giving them really advanced nutrition advice might not be what they need. They might just need some ideas on how to get more fruits and vegetables into their diet. Mm. Don't feel like you need to give more advice than you feel you can or comfortable. Mm. That That's appropriate. As dated as it is, I always signpost to NHS websites and the BDA websites. Also my own website, although it's like a, a little plug. But I think... There is good information at, online. Um, encourage them, encouraging them not to use social media um, in terms of influencers. 
unless they are qualified for advice because I've definitely come up against um, patients who have come That's in. interesting. Yeah, and have, you know, fallen for, like, juicing diets, mm. um, especially patients who are going through uh, cancer treatment, and they think that that will be helpful. Not saying that having fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. in a juice isn't helpful, but only having that. Um, Instead of your meals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And w- I was just speaking to an oncology uh, registrar this morning. She said one of her patients... Uh, read that she should fast before chemo and then ended up having a hypo before her her chemo and Mm. was very unwell so it just goes to show that there is nutrition is food can be a drug as well Mm -hmm. um and to just be just be careful as well but really basic advice is sometimes what people just need Mm -hmm. and it's like eating more fruits and vegetables eating more fiber we get hardly any fiber here in the uk I think we get about 17 grams, we should get 30. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say start weighing out your fiber, but (laughs) eat more whole grains, you know, like try to keep the skin on your vegetables and roast it that way. Getting the brown versions of food, like it's really, really simple advice like that. Cooking from scratch where you can, cutting down on like sugary foods and high fat foods. Um, And it's really, really basic advice like that. And then if you want to get like, into more nitty-gritty things like also encouraging people to probably cut down on their meat consumption we're consuming far too much mm-hmm. you don't have to go teetotal on your meat or vegan but cut down and definitely on processed meat consumption mm-hmm. um try to get two portions well one to two portions of oily fish a week and that's really it but if you focus on one step at a time i always say you know like how about this week you focus on getting your five a day every day how about next week you focus on maybe getting whole grains into your diet and that will be your focus for the week. Um, the week after, make it a packed lunch every week. Yeah. And it's like little things like that and then it suddenly starts falling into place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And does it tend to be GPs that ask you these questions or what t- other types of healthcare professionals come to you for advice? GPs largely because I Mm. think they see patients at the start of their journey when they've just been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes or blood pressure uh high blood pressure so they can they kind of want to know what advice they can give to help manage that but then I also find a lot of doctors within the hospital setting approach me more so for themselves um shift workers because they want to know what can I eat um, like I'm just like, envisioning you going to work and people just being like, Hazel, <laughs> Hazel, just a quick question. <laughs> it's funny. It's, um, but I mean, to be honest, not, not all the doctors and nurses in the hospital know what I do. You know, like I'm still a part of the furniture. Like I just go in and oh, I look Hazel, like every always, it's, go, it's going around. It's you going just don't around. know. You yeah, just don't I just know. don't know. Um, <laughs> but I do get some people like ask me and sometimes like they'll be having like a cake and they'll say, <laughs> oh you'll think this is really bad I'm like hey I'm not here to judge I eat cake yeah. too <laughs> but like it's oh. just I think a lot of people want they want to know how they can get the best out of their bodies and themselves yeah. out mm-hmm. of their diet so and hospitals are notoriously crap environments for food and oh, it's awful like mm-hmm. try to get a a good meal on a night shift Unless you are like, I mean, I work close to Tottenham Court Road, so you can go out. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you're okay. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're working in the middle of nowhere, it's like a vending machine diet. Um, I I know we don't have warm food at night. So I personally bring my own packed lunch. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but a lot of the other doctors do a McDonald's run at 3 a.m. McDonald's yeah. or Domino's. Like, it's just, it's not good, but sometimes <laughs> that's the only food that's available, isn't it? It is. Um, You know, like, that's why I understand. I think on the, on the, uh, once off basis absolutely we still do franco mancos on a friday mm-hmm. like that's fine but if you're do- if you're doing a lot of night shifts and you're eating that food a lot it's not going to be doing a lot to your health but also your performance as a doctor and we have a duty of care to do to do well um and do do the best for our patients mm-hmm. i think like 4 a.m is the the biggest dip when our patients go off but we also kind of my consultant go loves crazy. dropping that by the way the 4 a.m yeah. dip oh my god yeah he's you like check all your vitals like, at 4 a.m <laughs> <laughs> he's like i dare you to do some reading at 4 a.m and i'm like what and he <laughs> 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 you know when it just doesn't make sense sometimes yeah no that's funny but actually i really want to talk to you about the ways that you yourself um have made changes in your life because notoriously for doctors, it is difficult to get the food that you need to get um, and live a healthy lifestyle, particularly when you're doing like your shift patterns, whether that's in A&E or to be honest, a lot of our surgical or medical jobs. So you talked about bringing your food into work. Is there yeah. any other ways that you would suggest people could improve their lifestyle? Yeah, so I, and I think it's easy for me now because I've been doing it a long time, but meal prepping your, your lunches and also your dinners because I think, and sometimes shifts are so long in hospital it means breakfast lunch and dinner yeah. um i was just about to say that yeah. yeah but doing that on your days off and just prepping ahead and it does take a little time but it means that you always have food available and, and you also save so much time don't you, you save so much time because sometimes you know yourself you'll say i'll get lunch at one but then one becomes four mm-hmm. and then you're not eating and i've had plenty of lunches on the tube home at 7 p.m <laughs> and that's just the way the cookie crumbles <laughs> yeah <laughs> But if you have it ready, it means you could probably nip into the staff room for 10 minutes and have a quick lunch. Mm-hmm. It's not ideal, but it means you're getting a bit of food. And for me personally, I feel like I'm better able to like think when I when my stomach isn't grumbling. and I'm like hangry oh, on mate. a ward round. Yeah. yeah. I also uh, think it's important to take that time out, even if it means with your lunch, just to sit down 15 minutes, 30 minutes, just to have your break and get back to who you are before you go out there and work. Because you're working 12 hours. Yeah. What's 15 minutes going to yeah I know absolutely make that time and just tell someone to cover you like I think nurses are quite good they they like organize with themselves mm-hmm. take your break now take your lunch whereas doctors are like they're kind ah. of a- <laughs> 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 like you could just can't leave you're scared to leave so just it's so funny. yeah it's it's hilarious I think food's important as well um try to exercise as much as you can I'm like on the days I'm doing an early shift I will either exercise on my way home or I will get up and do a workout. I don't do it every shift, every kind of working day that I'm doing, but try to exercise at least like three to four um, days a week, even if it's 30 minutes or walk part of your commute, do something. Um, Try to sleep. I think we are terrible at sleeping. So try to get in good quality sleep. And it's not only just getting your like seven, eight hours, it's good quality. So like not watching Netflix till all hours or going on your phone, like creating an environment where you have really sound, peaceful sleep that will not only improve your performance, but also your, um, just your health overall and read Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Yeah, I'm like I, halfway through it. Really? I yeah. keep dropping that book in every podcast. I think it's I'm so doing. great. It's just blown my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like we all think that we're sleep experts now, but I mean, it's great. So I think sleep's important, having um, some form of stress management because we are constantly in this state of of stress, like this sympathetic stress state because 
your phone and those notifications and even the you know, your watch your smart watch you're constantly being buzzed and being a doctor or a nurse with pagers going off and like drips bleeping and everything that amount of adrenaline surging through your body and cortisol isn't going to do you any good but if you have mechanisms in place that help chill you out like mine is 10 minutes of meditation which I know is an everyone's cup of tea I'm actually I've actually started prescribing right um the calm app to my patients I say it's a great app I just say try for seven days if you think it's crap then it's fine it's not gonna (laughs) do you any harm and I just do that and the next time I'm like how you get on with a calm app (laughs) um I might never see them again but I just hope that one of them will pick it up and it will be useful but it could be uh yoga it could be walking it could be having a bath I don't know whatever floats your boat just do it just do it yeah um and how long do you think consistently you've been a bit more mindful or taking time out for yourself to meditate I would say only a year I remember the first a long time Hazel that's like more I think that's a habit yeah you know when you think about if you've been able to do something consistently for even a couple of months I think that's pretty good going yeah it was I always thought meditation was not for me tippy dippy and whatever and I did Mm. I tried it once in a really nice place um when I was in Ibiza last summer and it really worked for me for the first time and I was like this isn't so bad and yeah. I think because someone said to me there's no right way of doing it you don't have to empty your head because mm-hmm. I was like that, that's not possible <laughs> yeah impossible. that is not possible <laughs> um and now I, I use the cam app and I have used it for that whole year um and it's really really helped me but it does take time to build mm-hmm. it into a habit um but before that I I was a mess I was such a mess because I was coming to the end of my f1 year I'd written, I just launched my first book. I had to write my second book. I got strep throat. Mm. And after my antibiotics, then I got gastroenteritis. Oh, really? Yeah. I, and I was like, oh, it was so bad. Yeah. And it was in the, the pits of like hot, the hot summer. And I was on a, doing a cute surgical kind of rotation. Mm. And I remember thinking. So everything was kind of thrown your way I, at that time. Yeah, I was just like, I need, I need I need a something something yeah. and then meditation came along and I just I just grasped grasped it it wasn't the only thing that helped me get better mm. definitely dialing back my work I think something else that we should mention in terms of looking at our lifestyle is also social mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like we forget about how important social connections are but yeah. like being socially isolated or even you can be surrounded by people but feel isolated and I think a lot of doctors suffer from that mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. when you have to move to different hospitals all the time yeah. you have to meet new people you, you have might to be not... away from your family look your family you're in Ireland. yeah it, it makes a massive change and yeah. um, just being able to have people close by to you yeah and who you not, connect with absolutely mm. and not everyone likes their team or you know so it's it's good to have that and i think i that's what i'm doing now i'm like i i try to like keep in contact with my friends as much as i can you know next week i'm actually meeting up with the girls I started F1 with um and it's just nice to have that I suppose you bond as F1s because you go through <laughs> a crazy yeah. experience yeah. together um but yeah I think it's really important when you are you when you are working at a really difficult job to have people around you and any job yeah I, yeah no totally so yeah I think we always talk about um mindfulness and we also talk about making sure that we do have these social connections around us because I think sometimes as doctors we're kind of tricked into the mindset that actually you can get everything you need at work Mm. um and that you don't need to develop other things outside of work 
to feel fulfilled or to feel calm and all the things that we need in life. Um, but I think quite clearly, just from the conversation we've had today, actually it is important to be looking at our sleep mm. and how mindful we are, how much time we take out and what we're eating and just the things that kind of build up your everyday. So, yeah, I think that's a good consideration to make for all of us. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're basic human needs um, <laughs> that we just neglect. Like most people would rather sideline their sleep for another episode of Netflix. And because it doesn't have like a stop, it just mm. runs through. Yeah. It's you just, really all hard. you do is click skip intro. <laughs> I know, I know. And I I mean, I don't have a TV and coming I was flying back from uh on a long haul flight recently and I got hooked on the Peaky Blinders. <laughs> and it's the worst for my productivity this week i've been useless because i'm like oh my god i need to watch another episode never like what's wrong you know when you're like okay look it's it's 12 30 i can get another one in and you're like oh no it's 110 now might as well go up to two o'clock just what kind of nonsense is that i know it's madness so i need to stop that (laughs) (laughs) i'm literally the worst for tv so i can't even say anything no it's so funny Look, we're coming up to an hour nearly. I know, it doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't, it doesn't. So let's go on to what your plans are. We kind of talked about your plans for the future. Yeah. Um, clearly, you, you want to do a lot in terms of public health and working with different bodies and organisations into making nutrition and exercise a part of basically our national culture. Yeah. Um, and you're going on to your nutrition course in September. Um, is there anything else that you're looking to do or anything you're hoping to dip your toe in um the podcast is a big thing Um, yeah it's really I love the podcast guys if you can't tell already (laughs) yeah I love it too I really enjoy it I just like I said to you I'm learning so much and it's quite nice to interview people um and be on the opposite end although I do like talking as much so this has been really (laughs) lovely she says that after Uh, an hour (laughs) talking um like I said at the start as well I'm trying to create the food medic to become more of an organization a foundation where we are almost a media group Mm. sharing evidence-based advice between nutrition and medicine and on the back of that i'm actually organizing my first conference yay and it's going to be hosted by scientists for the non-scientists amazing yeah so oh that's so that's everything yeah so i will i mean keep your eyes peeled. she's smiling it's it's going to be in november i'm smiling because i'm like what the hell am i doing this is so stressful but it will be a day-long event looking at food from sustainability to health planetary health also some cool things going on like cookery demos so it's not like your typical conference more of a festival where i'll have different stages um and yeah it's going to be start of november i haven't announced it yet because we're just securing all the all the things but that will be cool because uh it's not been done before no yeah not at all what a great way of combining the two worlds again so we talked about how you have your four medical students who contribute to your blog and also clearly you have great publishers and people that you work with what does your general team that you work with on a weekly basis look like so I have uh, my management team who don't just work with me they work with lots of different talent and I signed with them when I was in my final year of medical school and so you've been with the same team? Yeah. Oh, and I've never changed. We're kind of like family now. Yeah. Um, so they're great. They work with the kind of are the middleman between book deals and jobs that I need to book. 
um, they do all the dirty work like contracts and stuff, which is really <laughs> great because I'm useless at that and I don't like talking about money um, mm-hmm. or, you know, work schedules and stuff. So they're really great. Um, I work with them, um, but on an ad hoc basis. So they just kind of, we chat on and off all the time. Um, I have a girl called Jemima who is kind of like my, we just promoted her to media manager um but she did she works with me on like you know like my little infographics for like social media oh, for like she? my swipe ups okay, and stuff nice. like that uh helps me write so clean yeah they're yeah. so cool i love it and my newsletter and um like uploading stuff on my website because when things go wrong i'm like i don't know what's happening yeah um and then i've got like my medical and these things take so much time they do uh i've got contributors i have like some core regular contributors and then people who come on an ad hoc basis it might be someone who's written a phd on something that's interesting so recently someone wrote a phd on weightlifting and stigma um, okay. in women Ooh, interesting. and i was like that's interesting come yeah. write on my website <laughs> so i i get people like that and i kind of like source them out i've recently taken on a pa which sounds really weird but she works uh a f- she does it's kind of like all online and it will only be like six hours a week and it will be little things like scheduling and stuff like that which is really useful and I didn't realize I needed it and other than that it's that's it I mean like I'll work with some videographers if I need to and I create all the content myself I do all of the writing under my name by myself um which takes up a lot of my time Mm. and I work and you're editing everyone's articles editing yeah Mm. so it's kind of like being a a teacher um but I, I work with other brands all the time as well so that requires days out of my my schedule like last friday i was working with lloyd's pharmacy on their type 2 diabetes campaign so i went to uh, birmingham and i did you know screening so we'd go through a questionnaire and i'd do finger prick tests for people so i do like media work as a doctor as well and i love that that's cool because it's different yeah, yeah. I used and to it's also it. necessary that someone does it yeah and- you're a good person to do it yeah yeah no but I didn't like it <laughs> in the beginning I was like oh I have to I don't like my voice I don't like seeing myself on tv and now I love it because it's I'm very comfortable mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and like you said someone has to do it so it's quite nice to be the one that does yeah. it <laughs> and you clearly have to have built confidence to do a lot of the things you have done over the past yeah. couple of years did that come easily to you or is that something you've had to be working on as you go along no, I think at medical school, if you asked me to do a presentation, I would have been like, uh, no, <laughs> I just would stutter of myself. And I was very, I mean, you probably can't really hear my accent very well, but I used to be really, not ashamed, but I'd talk it down. I'd you know, try to beat the Irish out of me. <laughs> um, so I never liked speaking in public. And then with this job, I was almost forced into it. But now I really enjoy it. And I mean, we mentioned before, but I just did my TED talk and I was so nervous, like Mm. sweating, hyperventilating. You did not look nervous at all. I was so sweaty. (laughs) Like, and it was TEDx youths. So they were young people. It was um, 2,200 people in the audience. Mm. That was my largest audience, aged 12 to 26. And you you know, you go from behind the curtain and there's like 50 people on their computers doing this fancy stuff for like <laughs> and I'm like they put this Britney mic on you and, like, and give you a clicker and I'm just like oh, no is it too late to back out I can't do this 
So forcing myself into that. But then I come off stage and I'm like, let me do it again. Like that adrenaline. But you can teach yourself. Like no one, no one is good at that the first time they do it. It's it's practice. Um, it's like with anything in life. But practically, how have you built and developed that ability to talk to big groups of people? Like, for example, your TED Talk, how did you prepare for that? I first heavily researched it and made sure I was really confident with what I was putting out there. And I rehearsed it to a T. Like the night before, I had my mum on Skype and I was like, sit there. You've got to listen to this 10 times. <laughs> um, and that's how I got confident with that. But most talks, um, it's really just being uh, confident in yourself. Like I do really, really different things though sometimes it'll be i was actually went back to sweden this summer to the exact same park we we were in no way but this time i was doing a cookery demo um, that's crazy that is crazy and i was just like i was here like three summers ago <laughs> <laughs> um and i did a cookery demo with all these global chefs and that in itself is nerve-wracking but you just have to step up own it be confident what you're doing fake it till you make it and like like what like and it's what, also not yeah. about, about faking it because you've been called to <laughs> yeah. come up there for a reason. Yeah. Not the next person, but you. Yeah. Because of the things that you've done. Yeah. So you're meant to be there. Yeah. No, it's dope. Thank you. It's really great and exciting to see young women, and um, particularly doctors, um, for me in particular, yeah. just because I think going through medical school, it can be, you're kind of directed in one path to become a consultant after going through your registrar training. Um, and there's not too much space for pursuing your passions and you don't really see it in a lot of people. So to see people like you has been really exciting for me and I'm sure I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of our listeners. And we're, we're going into a world that's changing and yeah. our world is becoming closer and smaller and the knowledge that we're, we have access to now is completely different. Yes, there are some bad pieces of knowledge out there and information, but a lot of it is good and it's good to see people contributing to that positively yeah so thank you Hazel. no worries thank <laughs> you for having me I mean it's been great oh <laughs> so yeah thank you for talking and coming on the show today I hope you've enjoyed our cute little studio Mare Street Market it's really cool here I'm just saying um and also the food looks really great it's gorgeous <laughs> it's I think actually the food is um, by Gizzy Erskine Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's her. She's so cool. She's so cool and so cute with her hair. I know. Yeah. So let's grab something afterwards. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, guys. Today's episode was recorded at Mare Street Market. Catch us over on www.afterthelettuscom or forward slash after the letters on every social media network. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.